sweating in bed keeping you up at night? Whoa, get your mind out of the gutter. This isn't that kind of commercial. You need the cooling power of Purple, the mattress that is. It's comfort reinvented thanks to the Purple Grid. It allows air to flow through, so you sleep cool and comfortable all night long. And it flexes and cushions no matter what position you sleep in. Hmm, maybe it is that kind of commercial. Anyway, save up to $400 on select Purple mattresses and bedding bundles. Get yours at purple.com slash sleep in. Terms apply. This is Anthony Robbins host of The Reality Is Where Filtering Becomes Extinct. This is Anthony Robbins host of The Reality Is Where Filtering Becomes Extinct. We give y'all real, real long. <laughs> I've been lying for so long. I've been lying for so long. <laughs> Believe me, I'm probably a porno, pornoologist. We cannot continue to deny women or minorities access to a system that has everything but their input. You are now listening to The Reality Hour. This is Anthony Roberts, host of The Reality Is Where Filtering Becomes Extinct. Welcome to episode 93. This is the first podcast of the new year that I'm doing by myself. And if anybody listens and if you follow the podcast, you know in December we didn't have any podcast to be released, any podcast to come out. We had no guest. We had no solo podcast. I didn't do anything. Uh, one of the main reasons that we didn't do a podcast is if you heard the first one a couple of weeks ago to kick off the new year, I had Bell's palsy. Um, I suffer from Bell's palsy, and I'm actually still suffering from it. It's a lot better. But that's why I didn't do any podcasts. It was a little bit after Thanksgiving. I um, went to the gym, and I was working out and to try to finish my workout. I went and got a protein shake, too. You know, give me a little energy, a little strength to just battle through and push through the rest of the workout. And midway through the rest of the workout, before I could end it, I felt some numbness in my mouth and I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe the shake was bad. Maybe the powder was old. (laughs) You know, I didn't know. So I threw, you know, threw the drink in the trash and I left. And when I was driving home from the gym, I called my girl and I was like, hey, you know, something doesn't feel right. You know, my my lips are numb and my tongue is kind of numb. I can't feel anything. You know, I told her about the shake. She was probably like, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. And I think that was, I think that was Friday, a Friday. And later that night, I had um, a meeting with some friends, and I was supposed to hang out with some friends and catch a drink. So I went to the bar that night. I got ready, and I, you know, I still had the symptoms kind of coming on, but again, I didn't know what it was. So I'm getting ready. I go to the bar. I'm at the bar. I'm drinking. The people I was hanging out with were running a little bit behind. So I had a few drinks at the bar, and after about drinking for about 10 minutes alone, I took a sip of the beer and it's like the beer just slid out of my mouth. Like I couldn't control how much intake of the beer that I could I could have. So I went to the restroom. I kind of, you know, slapped my face, patted it a little bit, massaged my face a little bit. And I was like, shit, what the fuck is going on? I come back to the bar and, you know, they ended up coming in and I tell them because I'm already starting to feel self-conscious. Hey, something is happening, but I don't know what's going on. So if you see me laugh and I look a little weird, I was like, hey, my, my mouth tripping, whatever. I'm still kind of oblivious to what's happening. 
So I get back home. I leave a little early. I come home. I didn't even eat with them. Like I ordered a burger. I brought the burger home. Home, and excuse the noises and the phone alerts. I bring the burger home. I'm talking to my girl. I bring her something to eat. We both start eating. I go to take a bite out of the burger, and my jaw locks up. Well, when my jaw locks up, I start tripping. Like, what's going on? So, long story short, short. I talk to my mom. I talk to my aunt. She's a nurse. She tells me, hey, the symptoms seems like Bell palsy. Um, I had an on-call doctor. I, he called me. I told him what was going on. He said, Bell's palsy. Probably need to get to the ER immediately. So, I go to the ER. They check me out. That's what it is. It's Bell palsy. They put me on steroids. Even that night, still, it wasn't that bad. I couldn't really sleep when I got home. And I was telling my girl how I felt. Everybody thought I was exaggerating. I'm not going to lie. When I'm sick, I can be a baby. So when, when, when a real illness come on, you know, somebody may just think I'm being a pussy. So I woke up the next morning, my face totally numb, facial paralysis. I go to the bathroom. I don't tell my girl anything. I wake up before her. I go to the bathroom. I look at myself in the bathroom. I can't move the left side of my face. My left eye wasn't moved. It was drooping. My mouth wouldn't move. It was drooping. And it literally felt like something was snatching my smile every time I tried to smile. By that time, I'm not going to lie, I, I instantly went into the depression stage. And I go get into bed. My girl goes, I wake her up. She sees that I'm not feeling too hot, not looking too hot. She goes and gets my medicine. And while she's gone, you know, my mom she got the phone call last night. I'm telling her about it. So she calls to check on me that morning. And as she calls me, like a mother does to check on you, she was speaking life into me, letting me know that it's going to be okay. But me not knowing what it is, feeling like it possibly the symptoms of a stroke still, whatever the case may be, I started to cry. Now, as a man, I'm not going to be like, oh, I wasn't boohooing. It doesn't matter whether it was boohooing or just tears running down my face. I began to cry. And I began to cry because I didn't know what was going on. And in a world where we're all in control of our lives, where we go, what we do, what time we do something, I could not control this. I couldn't control my own smile. So as I laid on my pillow crying, thinking in my head, God, why me? I have so many other things going on. I just had a crazy year. And, and, and it's funny because in life, it always seems, or at least in my life, it always seems when something goes good. I just graduated. I just got a promotion on my job. Just moved into a new place. Just got a new car. It's like things are going well. And boom, quickly, seemingly, it's like you hit rock bottom. Now, I'm not going to say I'm a vain person. I am, but I'm not the most vain person. Everybody takes pride in their appearance. I work out. I try to eat right. I try to do things to be healthy. And for something like that to come and happen to me, whew, I wasn't ready for it. It literally led me to depression. I didn't leave my apartment for a month. I am a so anybody who knows me knows I am a sociable person. I like to be out on the scene. I like to hang out with my friends. People was wanting to come over and see me. I wasn't allowing it. People wanted me to come hang out. I wasn't allowing it. I would just tell people I'm sick or I'm not feeling good. I wouldn't really tell anybody how I felt. A couple of weeks went by, sit in the house depressed. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start back working out. Because the first couple of weeks, the biggest thing that you can do to get better when it comes to Bell's palsy is rest. That's what the doctors tell you to do. They don't really know where it comes from. They doesn't, they don't know how it comes about. It's really no cure for it. Besides rest, they give you steroids and antivirals. And that's what I took. 
And I went to the gym for the first time after a while. And when I went to the gym, I worked out and I was like, I want to do a video. You know, I can either sit here and wallow in this misery and, 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 and have self-pity or I could tell somebody else about this story. I could tell somebody else what's happening to me and make somebody else aware of it. But also at the same time of making them aware of it, I can also let them know that you don't have to stay in the same situation you're in. So. I did a video on, uh, I think it was Instagram Live. No, not Instagram Live. I'm not soldier boy. I don't do that stuff. I did Instagram. I just did like a little 15-second video. And um, I did the video, and I didn't say much. I just kind of, you know, put it in text, and I was saying like day seven, day eight of Bell's Palsy and showing the progression and showing my eye not moving, so on and so forth. And then I wrote an article. You can check that article out, um, How My Smile Was Not My Own, and that's on therealityis.com, T-H-A, therealityis.com. But the funny thing about it is while I was down, while I was depressed, while I was rehabbing myself and fighting to get back to where I knew I was supposed to be, and I posted the video and I put uh, on Instagram and I hashtag Bell's Palsy. And then when I hashtagged it, I was like, let me check and see if somebody else is going through this. And lo and behold, when I click on it, it's a community of people who are battling Bell's Palsy. And through the recent article, when I wrote the article, the article got about 3,000 reads, which is the most reads I've ever had personally writing anything on social media. And now, last time I checked, it was up to 5,000 reads. And people were just inspired that, hey, somebody is telling this story. They're not allowing this to keep them in the house. He's fighting back for something that he believes he should be doing, and that's living his life. You don't have to stop living your life when something negative happens. And that was the reason that I wrote the article. I ended up meeting this lady on uh, Instagram. I uh, can't remember her uh, screen name. Actually, you know what? Give me two seconds. This is not live radio, so I can walk away and come back because I wanted to find her uh, screen name on Instagram. And if you could find it, go check it out. Like her page, follow her. Very inspirational. And the reason I'm telling people this is because she suffers from Bell's palsy, but hers is permanent. And I, I, you should already know right now why I'm saying go follow her, go look at her. Hers being permanent, let me look at myself and say, nigga, you ain't got it that bad. Whatever you're going through right now, it's not that bad. Somebody always has it worse. So hers is fa her uh, screen name on Instagram is facial underscore paralysis dot synkinesis. Synkinesis is S-Y-N-K-I-N-E-S-I-S. -S, and I could be saying it wrong again. Facial underscore paralysis dot synkinesis. And I think she's from United Kingdom. And we were talking and she saw the story and uh, she read my story and she was like, hey, that's a very inspiring story. And you know, way to get back out there and, and, and do what you're doing and, and keep it going. And I think hers is her whole left side of her face. Mine was the left side of my face. And throughout her page, she just has stories of people who are fighting Bell's palsy. And she continuously talks about her story. Very beautiful girl. And she's permanently, permanently like this. She says she's been like this for two years. But what it made me think about was I'm sitting here complaining. <laughs> Mine started in... Like I said, the week after uh, Thanksgiving, so November, one week in November, the whole four weeks of December is two weeks into January now. So I've been having it for almost two months now. She's been having it for two years and is never going anywhere. And if you look at her page, she's always talking about supporting people, pushing people to do things. And, and she inspired me. What I want to say is there is a community for everything that we're doing. There's just as much as there's communities for negative things, there's communities for positive things. And I want to say thank you to this woman. 
my aunt ended up sending me a video when I was sick and it was of a 16 year old boy who suffered from the same thing I did. And we all know in high school, <laughs> high school kids can be a beast, man. They can be a beast on talking about people. And he showed his little journey from when he had facial paralysis and everything he went through to now. I think he's like 17 and how he's doing better. But I was still thinking to myself, I'm being a fucking pussy. Nobody even sees me, but I'm still sitting in my house, depressed, laying in my bed, crying in my bed and feeling sorry for myself. When it's somebody like her who had it for two years and permanently and she's living her life, a 17, 16 year old kid had it in high school where people blatantly talk about you because they have yet to find themselves. And the best way they can make themselves feel better is to put somebody else down. And I, 34 year old Anthony Roberts, sitting in my apartment, bitching and groaning about what my face looks like and how this is not supposed to be happening to me. Shut the fuck up, nigga, is what I told myself at some some point in time. But I wanted people to know that I didn't just stop doing the podcast. Something happened to me. In that moment, it seemed it was devastating. My eye blinking slow. And, and the thing about it is, even with the process and even with me going through that, the doctor said that most people who have facial paralysis and Bell's palsy, their eyes won't even close. I was blessed enough that my eyes did close. It blinked slow as shit. One eye looked like Bambi, the other looked like a Chinese person. But hey, I still had my eyes. I still had my sight. If you want to know more about Bell's Palsy, definitely go read up on it. They got bellspalsy.org. They got all these uh, symposiums that people are having to make people aware of this because there is no cure for it. Again, there's just rest. But I'm blessed enough to say that my cure, my cure is happening through rest. And as much as people hear me talk about church and not being a church person, I am not a church person. I do believe in a higher being and I do believe in God. And I do want to say thank God for allowing this recovery and this process to happen. Sometimes we get too big for ourselves and God has a way of humbling us. And I've been humbled a lot in my life because I've gotten out of pocket a lot in my life. Not saying that that was the issue at this point in time. I think it was really honestly just time and chance. But I want to say thank you to Everybody who came by to check on me once I started allowing people to check on me, I want to thank you to those people who consistently check on me when they don't know something is wrong with me to where if something is wrong with me, they know. To those people who don't check on me and are surprised when they, when, you know, when they saw me and saw that I was ill, you know, I can't talk about you because I'm not perfect on keeping in touch with everybody that I should. That's something I'm trying to do better in 2017. So I guess I just added another resolution to my 2017. My resolution for 2017, I only had one, Joby, (laughs) and that was to not speak to white people first. Now it's to make sure I continue on my part of reciprocity. I preach reciprocity. It's so funny. I got a call from a homegirl not too long ago, and she uh, voiced her displeasure with me and not keeping in contact, you know. She's like, I always show up for you. I always come out to events when you're doing things like that, but you never show up to anything. Now, now, granted, I don't think she ever has anything or throws any, you know, throws any events. But I always try to respect people if they feel like, hey, you're not doing something that equals up to what I'm doing for you. So I'll listen. So my thing is I'm going to try to do better this year when it comes to showing reciprocity and showing up for people when they feel they need me we got a lot coming up on episode 93 of the podcast again i'm doing this podcast by myself it's not going to be a long podcast i just want to talk to you guys about some things i want to talk to you about why the fuck i'm giving up porn jesus christ let me say that again why i'm giving up all things porn 
Now, I say all things, but I'm going to have to ease into that because it's just like smoking and drugs and everything else. You just can't go cold turkey. I want to read Facebook's mindset and policy on crimes and videotape. Uh, you heard me talk about that with Frank Minicon and uh, Kevin Thomas on the last podcast. I also want to talk about how to level the playing field between men and women as well as people of color versus Caucasian in the business world and maybe some more. Again, you're listening to episode 93 of The Reality Is Where Filter Becomes Extinct and we'll be right back. Not on my own. I think the first time I watched porn, it was with my homeboy, Jason, back home, J.M. And we had found, found, well, he had found his stash of his father's porn. (laughs) And I think it was like a Saturday morning. I spent the night there Friday night. And, uh, you know, if if you've ever been a young boy, you're always trying to show shit off to your friends. Sex is a big thing, you know parents they started giving you to talk about the birds and the bees at like 14 15 and 16 thinking that they beating you to the punch man i'm gonna tell you this before i tell this story if you don't talk to your kids before high school about sex believe me by the time they seven years old somewhere seven eight years old a kid possibly already putting in their head what sex is and i guarantee you it's 95 percent wrong outside of them thinking they know what it is or somebody telling them what it is so talk to your kids about sex man don't be scared about that to talk about that especially you black parents so anyway my homeboy jason found his dad's uh stash of porn we watched it shit was vintage like a motherfucker it probably was ron jeremy on there because it wasn't no black people i don't think back in the day it wasn't a lot of black people in porn like it is now but that was my first exposure to porn. You know, my homeboy found his dad's stash and introduced it to it. And then I just kind of, you know, I never thought about it. You know, I never had sex till I was 19. And then I think when I was 20, maybe like 24, 25, my homeboy, uh, D Stoker, told me about Pornhub. Now, when he introduced it to me, he said, do you watch porn? I said, nah, man, <laughs> you know, not really. Now, I had masturbated, but I had never watched porn. So he's like, man, you got to check out this uh, website called Pornhub. He was like, they got the whole videos. You ain't got to download nothing. Uh, man, you, you could pause it. You can hover over it. And it'll kind of give you a, a, a little pre-play of what it's going to do, a preview of what it's going to do before you watch it. It got all these different uh, uh, different genres like uh, amateur porn and uh, hentai porn and cocoa porn and whatever else and bukkake porn, whatever the shit is. I'm like, what the fuck? This nigga was like an all-time salesman of porn. So I'm like, all right, bro, I'll check it out. And I think like a couple months went by before I actually even looked at it. But oh my goodness, when I did, it was a catalog of shit. And I'm thinking, who in the fuck needs this much porn? Well, little did I know I did a couple of years later. And it got to a point, I feel like, with porn to where if you watch it too much, Shit, your expectations become unrealistic. First of all, every woman ain't built like a porn star. One, every woman ain't built like a porn star because they're not naturally built like that. Two, every woman is not built like a porn star because they don't have the finances to pay for the body that porn stars have. Again, it's unrealistic expectations. 
I don't know if me personally, I want to nut in the hair of the girl that I care about. Unless she asked me to. But I would just think, especially for black women, that would be hard to get that shit out of your hair. But again, I just wanted to take a time, a step back. Like I've literally taken a step to not looking at porn and, and re taking back my mind and unlearning certain learned behaviors to have a different outlook and a perspective on women, on life, on dating and relationships. So I gave up all the Instagram models that I was following on social media. I gave up Amber Rose. I went from three porn sites down to one porn site. I, I told you, you got to go cold. I can't go cold turkey. You got to wean off of that thing. If you don't wean, I'll be patting my arm, talking about some shit. Got to get it. So I got to wean myself. Went from three to one. Got rid of the Instagram models. Got rid of Amber Rose. And I'm trying to focus on real women like Tracy Ellis Ross. Porn to have you looking at women as sexual men all the time. It'll have you imagining what's underneath their clothes and not what's in their head. And that's not the person I want to be. If I had a kid, that's not the type of man or woman I would want them to be. So for me, I feel like it's time to give it up. After viewing and seeing an a Instagram post that Tracy Ellis Ross put out on um, this past week, she had like this Chinese-inspired dress, and it was uh, flapped over the chest, and she had buttons on it up to her neck, uh, sleeves down to her wrist, and the dress was down to like a little bit before, below her calf muscles, and she had on some heels and a clutch. And she was sexy as shit. And it was in that moment that I looked and I said, I ain't thinking about fucking her, kissing her or nothing. I was just appreciating her. It was like seeing Michelle Obama and thinking, God damn, that that's a woman. Now I know you got people like Amber Rose and Black China and all them talking about slut walking and that a women should have rights to their own body. And they do. They should have agency over their thoughts, their body and what they do with their body. But at the same time, maybe it's a societal norm thing, but you can't expect men to respect you. 100% off the bat the way you may want them to respect you when you're showing them your whole body. Now, again, I can agree to disagree with the slut walk or the message that Amber Rose and them put out because I do agree that you should be able to be free to wear what you want to wear. And I do appreciate Amber Rose's body and some of the things that she wears. But as a man, I also want to be able to control my thoughts. And I know me being as a sexual as I am, I know what I think when I see those things. So I'm just trying to manage what I, you know, how I see in my output and my viewpoint of the way people look and the way I see them. So I also wanted to talk about crimes and videotape. We talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, but I wanted to talk about Facebook and their perspective on crimes and videotape after uh, the four kids in Chicago beat up the mentally disabled uh, kid, tied him up, duck tied him, had him in an abandoned building, I think, and they were beating up on him, calling him racial slurs and things of that nature, talking about fuck Trump. Any white person can get it. First of all, for those dumbasses, if any white person can get it, go get a motherfucker who hit in the gym and they might can beat your ass up. Don't go get somebody who cannot defend themselves. And please, black people and other people, do not allow your hate for Trump to get your ass locked up fired kicked off social media because the way you feel because the same shit that people used to say when white people and other people of other races was talking about obama and michelle obama and they was getting fired from their job don't think for one second that your black ass will not get fired for posting shit and hate messages about trump i do not think black people can be racist from a system uh, systemic oppression type perspective but i do think we can hate and be prejudiced just like anybody else and the shit is wrong and you deserve to be held accountable for your actions if they are negative. So Facebook went on to say about their crime and videotape and why they post these things. Cause some people was wondering why do they allow these things to stay up online as if they're promoting it. 
And Facebook said it does not allow people to celebrate or glorify the crimes on its site. It's already removed the original video of the Chicago incident for that reason. But the social media network does allow people, uh, does allow crime video when people share it to condemn violence or to raise awareness about it. The company said in an email statement in regards to shootings on live streaming media, Facebook, that that can lead to that trickiness can lead to assessments of intent. Facebook, for instance, wrote in a blog post that it would allow a violent video posted by someone who used it to help find the shooter, but would remove it when posted by another person who mocked the victim or celebrated violence. We understand the unique challenges of live video, Facebook wrote in its July blog post after footage of a dying Philando Castile bleeding inside of a car after he was shot by the police went viral. The social network says it keeps the team on call 24 hours a day to respond to reports of inappropriate video, though its reactive approach means that some material could easily go unreported. I understood that. Uh, some things we do need to see, unfortunately. I mean, some of the ways that we see them is not the best, but a lot of times we do need to see these things in reference to that. I think that Facebook should allow things like that to be posted. And if they have an on-call 24-hour team, vet it, view it. And if it needs to come down, come down, take it down, send it directly to the authorities and let them handle it. And don't allow people to continue to share and make fun of or be racist on videos like Philando Castile or Dylan Roof or so on and so forth. So that's how I feel about that. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about how to level the playing field between men and women, as well as people of color versus Caucasian in the business world. Again, you're listening to episode 93 of The Reality Is, and we'll be right back. So how do we level the playing field between men and women? Or how do we level the playing field between colored people and uh, Caucasians? Why is it that when women say the same things as men, they're labeled a bitch and a man is labeled assertive? I don't have all the answers. But this is a patriarchal society. Men are at the top of the hierarchy. It's been that way since the beginning of time. But I don't understand why that I don't understand why I was talking to uh, my girl last night. We were watching The Finest Hour and it's a story about uh, I forgot the guy's name, Um, but it's a story about this this uh, Coast Guard back in the 1950s who, um, you know, he he basically found a woman married or well wanted to get married and he ended up being incompetent in the Coast Guards. Nobody really trusted him. But in the finest hour, he was the one who saved all of these other men from this ship that was sinking in the middle of the sea out near Nantucket in Massachusetts. The reason I brought that movie into play when it comes to hierarchy and a patriarchal society and why women are looked at as bitches and not assertive when they do some of the things that men do. I don't understand that because we all know that women really do have the most power. Think about when we're driving a car. We say, if the car breaks down, we like, oh, she giving up on us. Or like in that movie of the hierarchy, he was driving a boat, and it was a boat that saved everybody that he was driving, and it ran out of gas, and, and when he was trying to bring them back to shore, and he was like, she got us this far. She'll get it. I believe she'll get us where we're going. Mother Earth is a she. The sea is a she. Everything that is powerful and everything that is, that is great is a she. People like Andre 3000 and Erica Badu even imply that the world, the moon, the stars, all of this, she is the universe and that God is a woman. So why the hell is there so much patriarchal society 
Why is this a patriarchal society? I, I, I don't understand it. Excuse all the uh, noise. I got the patio window open while I'm recording. So if you hear sirens and all of that, I'm enjoying the weather today. But as far as women being assertive, I think they should be seen as assertive. They shouldn't be seen as a bitch or a, a woman who to be told to stay in their place. There, This is one of those things that we have to change. We have to change the narrative and the conversation. We have to invite women and people of color to the same table to have these same topics. It's a snippet at the beginning of the podcast in the introduction where University of Texas, University of Texas at Arlington professor Julian Rodriguez is saying how can this world, in so many words I'm paraphrasing, how can this world be what it needs to be when you don't have certain people sitting at the table, they're not invited to the conversation of how to make their communities better, how to make their businesses better, how to make this world better. We don't even get included in the conversation. When it comes to women and hearing them out, I do personally think that women are just as smart as men, if not smarter. I think it's unfortunate that I have to say this, but I think it's it goes back to white men. And I've heard a lot of white women say that white men don't like to relinquish that right of power. It's that white privilege, it's that white supremacy, and that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. They want to be the hierarchy, and if they're not, they feel like their position is being threatened, but it's not your position to be threatened. We talk about equality a lot of times, and we, we talk about race and gender equality. How does that start? How can we even talk about race or gender equality when women and people of color don't get the same platform to speak from and not be labeled a bitch or not be labeled an angry black man or an angry black woman? How do we change that narrative? In my opinion, I say we create our own narrative. We create our own platforms and avenues of what we do and what we want to be out there. That way, when a person gets the opportunity or wants to go searching for different perspectives and why people do, why women say these things or feel this way or why black people do this and say these things, they can do that. Most of my listenership is white people. This, my platform gives them the opportunity to come hear what real black people really think. And I think that's how we started. We have to change the narrative. We have to decide that this is not enough, that this patriarchal society is not the way we want it to be. And we have to be the ones to go out and change it. Why is it that when people of color assert themselves in the same fashion as their white counterparts that they're seen as angry or aggressive? I think that's just pure because white folks are just scared of black people. We talked previously on a podcast where when a white person is walking up and they see a black person coming, they either look down. We had Mark Cuban, I think, a couple of years to say if he saw anybody or a, a black person in a hood, he's going to walk across the street. We get it. Everybody has their right to their opinion. But we have to work on creating and changing that narrative. Because sometimes people are going to be so ignorant that they're not going to take the time to figure out who a person is or why a person feels this way. They're just going to give them a label and they're going to label everybody else along with that and they're going to keep it moving. I know being a black man, I know I take a risk at not getting jobs and being seen a certain way because I have dreadlocks, because I have tattoos, because I'm not a skinny guy. I've heard, I was, I remember going to getting a tattoo one time and it was a white guy who was giving me the tattoo and he was like I'm pretty sure a lot of white people stare at you and it was funny as we were talking because as white people walked by the tattoo shop I didn't have a shirt on and he was tattooing me up and they literally were just standing there in the window 
like I was a, a big ass gorilla in the zoo just staring. And I'm thinking like, what the fuck is going on? And he was like, because you're black and you're built like a brick shit house. Now, of course, it was funny at the time. My girl was laughing. I laughed. But, you know, he wasn't scared of me because clearly he deals with black people. He tattoos black people. He even went on to say he hung out with some people, you know, and he liked our music, which a lot of white people do. That's not nothing new. But the point of the matter is, if you don't if you're not exposed as a white person to a different culture outside of yourself. And I don't just mean watching TV and just because you travel, cause white people love to say, Oh, I travel to Africa, but do you really hang out with these people? Do you hang with real people or do you continue to stay in your bubble? Because if you continue to stay in your bubble and you don't really hang out and rub elbows with real people, you don't know who those people are. And a lot of white people, I've talked to white people who have said that they really never met white pe black people or hung out with them outside of working with them. Or they had a friend that had a friend that knew somebody. They go off of what they see in movies and TV or what they see on the news, which is why we are all lumped together. I was telling somebody the other day when the whole Chicago thing happened and just the, the bad news that comes out of Chicago, period. We are viewed. We're generalized with those type of people when they show that stuff on the news. The news and the media continues to paint that narrative and we just get lumped together in that. But how do we change that? I used to feel like it was on us to kind of go out and make sure we tell people and show people that we're not what they think we are. That's not our fucking job. I stopped doing that shit a long time ago because for one, it's exhausting. For two, you don't owe nobody shit. Not one white fucking person, not one fucking black person, not one Hispanic person. You don't owe anybody shit. Be who you are and let your actions and the way you carry yourself speak for yourself. I remember going to a job one day. My mom worked for the state and she got me an interview and I went into the interview and I was probably in the second year of growing my dreads and I sat down with the lady and she looked at my resume and she was like, oh, I love the resume. You carry yourself well. You look nice. You're very well spoken. And she was like, would you ever consider cutting your hair? I said, no. And if I did, what I was like, why are you asking me that? Because she didn't lead it with the question of. We want to hire you, but she's like, just would you ever consider cutting your hair? And I said, no, I won't consider cutting my hair. And then I said, it depends. And she's like, well, it depends on if I offer you this job, depending on would you cut your hair? That's what I'm asking. If we gave you the, if we offered you this job, would you cut your hair? And I said, no, I wouldn't. And some people may find it stupid, silly, dumb. If you don't have a job, why aren't you just cut your hair and take the job? But it's bigger than that. I tell people all the time, this whole world is built around rules. It's built around following biblical rules. It's built around following societal rules, laws of the land, tell you how to cut your hair and all of this shit. Don't get tattoos. If you follow all the rules that are in the world, when, when are you actually living your life? You're not. I know so many people who go to work and dress up to pretend and tap dance and be somebody else. But they come back home and they do some of the same things. They're living two different lives. I, I, I just like to live one. I like to be who I am all the time. And when you really think about it, as a black man, if they ask me to cut my hair down to like a college cut, which is like Jay-Z, shave my beard, make sure I wear a shirt and a tie, and tell me what kind of colors, because I don't know if anybody's been like this, but you know, black people like to wear more than just black and brown. But I even wore red shoes to a job one time and they was like, and they were red tennis shoes, not like no gators or no shit like that, but just red tennis shoes on like a, on like a casual Friday. 
And one of my jobs was like, well, we prefer you to wear like black or brown or neutral colored shoes. I ain't white is what I told it. Because if you want me to cut my hair, shave my beard and look like a generic ass person, you basically asking me to conform myself to look like what you guys deem as necessary. Again, I'm not with following all these rules when it comes to I'm a hard worker and I do what I need to do. Uh, you know, I have I'm educated. I have my degree. I have the skills that you need. I have my certifications. What do I look like? What does that have to do with anything? As long as I don't got earrings in my nose and all in my lip and I look what society would deem crazy or weird, I should be fine. And not to be funny, if those people want to do that shit, too, it should be a job for them to do as well. You shouldn't be deemed unworthy to have a job or unqualified to have a job because of the way you look. I know people who are overweight who haven't got jobs because they're too big. They're too skinny. It was an article written a couple years ago. It's been several articles written that people get jobs based off what they look like. How many people have walked into an office or got or called in to pay a bill and you got a white person on the phone or a white woman on the phone or you walk into a building and you got a, a person that's very attractive, but they can't even fucking tell you. They can't pull up a computer and pull up the schedule to say you have a meeting at nine o'clock. They can't verify that shit. They're just there because they look good. That's not that's that your looks are not that important. We need to start getting back to hiring people who can do the job. We need to get back to being open-minded and having the conversation about what we can do to really have diversity and not just put diversity up as a label in our mission statement saying that we do something that we actually don't do. I just applied to grad school for Syracuse University. I hope I get in. And they asked me to write a personal statement. And in the personal statement, it was a part in there where they want you to tell why you feel like you should have this, you know, you should be accepted into the program. And I told them, and I'm applying for a master's in public relation, and I remember talking to them and I said, well, I remember as I was writing, I was like, I, I want to be that person. You know, some people, they have a public relation. When you work in public relations, you have a mission statement. And that mission statement, it sounds great, but it doesn't really add up or equal to the company that it's written for. You know, it may say here, we're here to change this and bring people together and whatever, whatever. And you have people that work there and that company is not really about that. And I told them in that mission, in my personal statement, I don't want to just be the person who writes the mission statement for it to sound good. I want to be the person who writes the mission statement that sounds good. And if you came to that company, we actually implement and you can see those things being done in that particular company. It's just simple, as simple as saying we got to mean what we say and say what we mean. I got a little news before we close out. We got former Iranian president Akbar Hashimi Rafashanjani died Sunday after suffering a heart attack. Iranian state run media said Iranian state uh, media said that he was 82. Now, let me repeat that again. Former Iranian president Akbar Hashimi Rafashanjani. I'm probably saying that shit so fucking wrong. R.I.P. my nigga. Hopefully his family is good. I uh, got that pop up on CNN and I was like, you know what? Let me add some news to the podcast try and diversify some shit around her. Also, Apple is being sued for a FaceTime wreck. An American couple whose daughter was killed by a driver allegedly using FaceTime on his iPhone have launched a lawsuit against Apple. The lawsuit alleges that the firm should have introduced a feature that is able to use of the video chat 
application while driving. The driver involved in the crash, Garrett Wilhelm, drove his SUV into the back of the Modisset family's vehicle while traveling at a high speed. The lawsuit document states that he told the police he was using FaceTime at the time of the crash and that the application was still active when the police found his phone at the scene. I want to know who the fuck was on the other line and didn't fucking hang up when they heard this nigga crash. That's what I want to know. First of all, hopefully he's all right. So I think uh, somebody, I think the, I hope the other family's daughter and, and everybody else is okay. But FaceTime, you trying to sue Apple for that shit? Hang the fucking phone up. That was him. Just sue his ass. Everybody looking for a dollar. Somebody done got hurt. And people up here still trying to sue somebody else to get money as opposed to just focusing on the person who did it to you and making sure everybody's all right. Robert Smith. Robert Smith said to give full scholarship to 24 girls from Boko Haram. Who is Robert Smith? He is a black billionaire with his worth estimated to be at $2.5 billion. Smith offered to sponsor 24 girls from the Chabak community, including 21 girls who escaped from Boko Haram captivity in October of last year. The education will cost anywhere from $5,000 to $11,000 a year to educate a student at the school, which is owned by wealthy frontline Nigerian politician and business owner Atiku Abubakar. These names are getting more and more fucking difficult every day. This is the same Robert Smith who gave $20 million to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C. that was built, I think, about a year or two ago. Even on the website of his company, Vista Equity Partners does not have a picture of him Better, he had thought that investors and executives know him by his abilities. If they saw only his caramel skin and African and seen that he was African-American, he might not have the opportunities that he has today. I posted something on Facebook the other day saying, why do we have to disguise who we are to be recognized? This man is a billionaire. And even on his Vista Equities website, he doesn't have a picture of himself because he wants people to see his business and his ability before they see his skin color so he can get business to come his way. I know a little bit about that as well. Even with me starting my business, Robert Media Group LLC, in 2015, I had a couple of business meetings with people and a couple of business opportunities, and people saw the website, and they saw things that I was doing, and I will never forget getting a phone call from a white lady one day who wanted some business from me, and when she heard my voice, I could tell, I know some white people be like, how you know she turned you down because you was black? Because when she heard my motherfucking voice, I heard her voice change. And she shifted from in the email saying that we look forward to working with you to getting on the phone with me and saying, hey, we're going to check out one more business and we'll get back to you to never getting back to me. If the quality's right, the price is right. But my skin color, skin color was not right. So that is something that black people deal with. But I wanted to give a big shout out to Robert Smith, man, for doing his thing, for uh, chipping in, helping those girls out who got um, who got away from those crazy camps in Boca Haram. Man, it's a lot of crazy shit that's been going out there, going on out there for a couple of years. Man, that concludes the podcast. Again, I just wanted to drop a little nugget on you guys. First solo dolo podcast of the year. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'm always nervous when I do solo podcasts because I'm like, who the fuck wants to listen to me talk for 30 to 45 minutes about what I deem relevant? But again, if you want to keep up with everything, the reality is you can follow me personally on my Instagram page at Sir Robert Poe. That's S-I-R-R-O-B-E-R-T-P-O-E. You can find me at Anthony Roberts on Facebook. You can also follow us on The Reality Is. That's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor. Pretty much we're everywhere. You can keep up with the website at www.therealityis.com. That's T-H-A, therealityis.com. You can hit us up at info at therealityis. If you want to be on the show or you know somebody who wants to be on the show, tell them to email us. Tell them to holler at us. Leave us an audio message, an email. 
If you want to discuss topics with us and things that are going on in your neighborhood or in your society, hit us up on Anchor Man where we can chit chat back and forth. Actually, chit chat back and forth. I really don't do Twitter that much, but you know, again, we're still looking for a social media manager. So again, if you know a young, inspirational, inspired kid, an ambitious kid, let them know to hit us up and just email us at info at therealityers.com. And like always, man, inhale courage to excel success. You guys be blessed. Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC. Sweating in bed keeping you up at night? Whoa, get your mind out of the gutter. This isn't that kind of commercial. You need the cooling power of Purple, the mattress that is. It's comfort reinvented thanks to the Purple Grid. It allows air to flow through, so you sleep cool and comfortable all night long. And it flexes and cushions no matter what position you sleep in. Hmm, maybe it is that kind of commercial. Anyway, save up to $400 on select Purple mattresses and bedding bundles. Get yours at purple.com slash sleep in. Terms apply.